because we just like to have that revenge, you know? And it's so much easier when you have an antagonist that you can just destroy and hate and there's nothing redeeming about them. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, I saw something on Facebook a few weeks ago, and I've been meaning to ask you about it, but I keep forgetting. We were in this series that we were doing, but now we're not. So I want to ask you about this new cat that you have. I saw a picture of a cat and some really unusual words used to describe it. (laughs) (laughs) She fits in your hand and she will eat your face. Um, Yes. um, Growing up, I didn't have pets growing up. I mean, every once in a while in one of the communes, there'd be dogs or cats, but they weren't really pets. They were more like predator control and keep people away control. And um, so uh, about seven, eight years ago, uh, not counting the two little dwarf hamsters that we got the kids when they were young. Um, we got a, a dog, a really small little dog. And make, make no mistake, she's my dog. I mean, you know, she's a household pet, but she's my dog. Um, and for the last year, my youngest has been working on me going, I want a pet. I want a pet. I want a pet. And for me, I'm just like, oh, it means more work. It means more expenses. <laughs> it means more time taking him to the vet and all this stuff. And I just don't need it. But she she convinced me. She's like, you know, it's it, it's something that I can love and, you know, for me to be responsible for. And I was like, you're going to be responsible for it 100%. Yes, I promise. I promise. So, you know, I've been looking and been looking and been looking. And, um, you know, I'm, I've never been a cat person because I've never had cats and I've never really understood the appeal. But uh, I was on, you know, one of those sites that shows uh, pets up for adoption. And there was this little kitten and I was like, oh, my God, I have to have her. <laughs> so it was you. <laughs> well, I made the decision and um, it was kind of iffy on whether she'd be coming home with us or not. And so we didn't even bother telling anyone else until... Um, we went to go get her and got all, you know, the little kitty cat stuff and came walking in the door with her. And then it was like, um, so it was like, you can have this kitten on a trial basis. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, well we had, we had a place for her to go if, you know, she was going to have a loving forever home regardless, but it was, is she going to be under this roof or another roof? And um, it was like, here are the rules you have to follow to have this, you know, little creature. And so far, it's been really awesome. And um, that, that cat is a little holy terror. But for the first two weeks, it didn't know what it was to have its feet on the ground. <laughs> and the, the initial picture was it was just sitting in someone's hand. I don't know. If it was... In, that was my hand. Okay. It was sitting in my hand. Yeah. All right. So it's tiny. How, how much has it grown? It's grown. It's at least doubled in size. It's it's um she's a Siamese mix. She's not full Siamese, but you wouldn't know it from looking at her unless you see her paws. Because the only thing that doesn't look like a Siamese on her is that she has little white socks on instead of the the points. Um, and so you know, I'm just she's just she's fun, but she's big. She's gotten she's starting to get into that teenage gangly stage now. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> uh, they you know they grow fast. So today's topic ties in, I think, perfectly with your pet situation at home because you have a dog and a cat. 
And I have a feeling that when the cat came along, the dog saw it as an antagonist. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> that was really good. That was smooth. <laughs> All right. So we'll transition from cat as antagonist to just the topic of writing antagonists. And I think back to the way you describe your books, which is as, I think, high-octane character studies. I love it. Okay, so I got it right. Yay, me. Yes. Cookie. And so the character study is not just Monroe. It's not just Miles Bradford. It's not just the good guys. The the character study involves the bad guys as well, uh, or obviously the antagonists. So that's sort of what I want to talk talk about is we, we always think about writing the hero or the heroine, and we spend all our time thinking about how they think, how they act, how they would react to this situation or that situation or the other, and putting them in these horrible situations to see, to see what might happen. Uh, but for a lot of us, not you, a lot of us, um, we don't spend nearly that much time on the antagonist. So I'd, I'd like to go back, if you don't mind, to the doll. And for people that that haven't read The Doll, it had a particularly despicable antagonist um, who went by the name of The Doll Maker. And I'm curious, where did that come from? I mean, obviously, it it, it was a big part of the story, but did did the story come first or did he come first? Um, I think it was a mixture of of both, but the, the, um, the character itself... I don't know where the whole concept of the doll maker came from. It was sort of one of those like, huh, like flash ideas. Mm -hmm. And it kind of grew from there. But was it a flash idea while you were writing or a flash idea while you were building the story? Well, I do a lot of thinking before I start the writing. And there's always like, well, who, 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 why, 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 who would do something like this? Why would they behave this way? And that's at that point where the flash sort of started coming together. I really try hard not to write until I have that stuff figured out, which I'm currently in a process of writing where I haven't totally figured out, and I hate it. So figure as much out as you can beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, with the case of the Dollmaker, he had some peculiar physical characteristics as well. He was not very big. No, he was slight. That's correct. And he was... I don't know what the right term is, well-dressed, well-mannered for a sociopathic crazy person. Yeah, I wouldn't even say he was sociopathic. He was just batshit crazy. Okay. Um, but, he, but in a sane sense. Um, but, yes, he was very well-groomed. And, and is this all? Fastidious, was this all fastidiously. A, yes, that's the word I was looking for, fastidious. It, was this all part of the character creation process? Did you, did you sort of like build them one step at a time? That type of stuff comes through the writing process because often what will happen is when I'm going through my first drafts, I'm telling what is happening, uh, like the scenes are being built, but the textures, the richness that comes, that usually comes out in second and third drafts. And how important is, uh, this is a stupid question, I need to rephrase it. But uh, obviously the antagonist is important to drive the story, but how much easier is it when the antagonist is as despicable as the dollmaker? It's much easier. It's, it's so much easier to write a character that everybody hates than it is to write a character with nuance. 
um, especially with the American mindset. I don't know how else to put it because we are a very black and white culture. We like to blow things up and, you know, it's all, you know, guns and violence and um, even people who are anti-gun and anti-violence are still watching bang, bang, shoot 'em up movies because we just like to have that revenge, you know? And it's so much easier when you have an antagonist that you can just destroy and hate and there's nothing redeeming about them, but they're not very real. And in The Doll, uh, there was there are these other scenes. There was a, There's a long period of time where... Monroe spends time with a celebrity. And without giving away any part of the story, the celebrity pushed back against Monroe a lot, almost serving the role as, as another type of antagonist. Yes. It, how, how important is, is that kind of thing, the secondary antagonist, for lack of a better term, is, how important is that? To, to driving a story? Well, I think that it can't be artificial. Like, it has to be integral to the characters. Otherwise, it's just a construct, and people will, will read it and go, eh, whatever. Um, so it's not integral in the sense that if you don't have it, then your story will be lacking something. But the, any layer of conflict you can add to a story is going to add to the depth and the tension and the page-turning aspects of it, whether it's a thriller or a romance, every layer of contact. So, uh, uh, so the having multiple antagonists like that um, can definitely be beneficial, but only if it actually works for the story and that it's it's in line with who the characters are. And in this case, it would have been really easy to have a cardboard character celebrity that was in this in this role. Uh, you know, we've all seen them in on television and in movies and things, but that wasn't the case with with this the the woman that you created for this role. And and then she evolved into a different type of character. Their relationship evolved that really added to the richness of of especially the the road trip part of the story. Yeah, I think that without that, the road trip would have... Because sometimes it just takes time to get from one place to the next in a story in a way that makes sense with a timeline. And um, it, it, you have to give it depth um, or it's just boring. Okay, so we've talked about the, a secondary antagonist and we've, we've talked about a despicable antagonist. In The Mask, there was an antagonist that I and probably a lot of other readers really liked, and that was Nanomi Sato. She was the primary antagonist in the story, but she was so... Uh, I don't... I'm going to stop myself there. But uh, what's the difference between that, uh, the kind of antagonist that we almost like uh, as, as compared to the one that we just despise and, and want to see terrible things happen to? I think the difference is that if you have an antagonist that you almost like, there's got to be something else in there that you can hate. Because if, if you like the antagonist, it almost ruins the sense of danger or the, con the level of conflict. And so by having multiples 
in the same story, then you're playing it's like a star instead of a circle. There's, there's multiple things bouncing around. It allows you to like and fear a character at the same time because they're unpredictable and you don't know what they're going to do. But they're not the ones who have to be destroyed in the end. What kind do you prefer to write? Is it the, the, despicable, one, the despicable one like the, uh, the Dollmaker? Um, you know, for ease of writing and, and for making it Faster, yes. But at the same time, I feel that by writing characters like that, it, it almost I'm becoming part of the, the black and white problem. Because I feel that in, in the world that we live in, we'd, we would have so much less anger and strife and frustration if we could learn to see nuance in things. And while on the one hand, it's really good for the book, on the other, it's like, and liking to eat meat, but at the same time understanding the unethical nature of it because of what factory farming has done to meat, and so it's like, well, which one do I do here? You know, like mm-hmm. so. There's, it's, it's, it's. I'm torn. You know, I don't want to be part of the problem, but my my job requires that I do. So I don't know. And it's. I'm curious. You you've mentioned a couple times how having an antagonist like the Dollmaker makes the writing process easier and faster. But you've also stated in, in previous times that we've talked that the doll was the hardest of the books for you to write. Yes, and it was, but it wasn't because of the characters. It was because the t- the multiple timelines and okay. trying to make the story all fit together in, it was like more than one book inside a book. Okay. All right. And, and there were, uh, and then there were bad guys spread out across the globe as well. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. That's what made it difficult. But r- the scenes that I had to write the dollmaker went very quickly because it's easy. I'm writing a, I'm, I'm writing something that's not real. You know, it just, we can hate on him and make him as despicable as possible. You can have fun with it. All right. The project you're working on now, we're not going to talk about it, but I want to talk about the antagonist or the primary antagonist in in this particular project? Is this someone that when we read this, we're going to loathe them like the Dollmaker, or is it someone that we might have to work to understand? You know, this one is kind of an interesting, interesting thing because as I go through the story, we never actually see the true primary uh, antagonist on the page to that extent because he doesn't have his own point of view. Mm -hmm. So even though he's ultimately, there are multiple antagonists in the story and I'm still trying to work and figure out how to get it all to fit and not lose the tension because there's some we're going to like and others, we don't know who they are. And there's this one that we know who he is, but we never actually see him. So to, to find a way to make that all work with the same kind of emotional impact has been quite a challenge and I'm still working on it. But we won't be able to loathe him to that degree without actually having him interact. And it's through the interactions with one character and the other that you, you love or hate the characters. You either loathe or, fight, you know, you root for them. And without that, you're, it's missing a little bit of that because he's not there. He's this presence. And so it remains to be seen whether I can actually pull that off to the degree that it works for the story. Okay, one last question, and then we'll wrap up with another unbelievably uh, fantastic call to action. 
<laughs> How important in the planning stage is the antagonist for you? I mean, it, I, I know you don't have to recreate the, the heroine in a series over and over and over again. Uh, but but right now you're working on something new. So how much time did you spend working on the primary uh, the primary characters versus the antagonists? And that's not uh, enough. <laughs> um, well, I, it's funny that you should say that because I was actually just today thinking about it a lot. I was I was driving somewhere and it was on my mind of you know the the antagonist is not as strong as he needs to be. And there's multiple, again, like I said, there's multiple antagonists and I'm like, I really need to dig down and find out what's driving them here. Because once you know what's driving somebody, then their actions begin to make sense in a, in a more emotional impact, impactful way. And, um, I realize, well, I I've got the main characters pretty well figured out, but I haven't spent enough time figuring out these antagonists and figuring out what is driving them to do what they do. And it's really important. I mean, we talked about in a prior show, I believe we did anyway, about how the strength of the character is defined by the strength of the antagonist. So if you have a weak antagonist, your character is going to be weak. And if you want mm-hmm. to have a really badass character, you need to have a really badass antagonist. Doesn't mean physically badass, but emotionally, mentally, the the games that they play, it's it's gotta be strong enough to make the the main characters really work for what it is that they're after and to to have that sense of pending failure. So but but to have an antagonist that isn't thought out well enough where he just shows up in the right places at all the right times to make the characters keep jumping, that's not go- that's going to fall flat. It's going to feel contrived. So once once you under, better understand the the character's motivations, how do you go back and insert those motivations into what you've already done? In the case of somebody who's not actually on the page, like a character who doesn't have their own point of view, I would flesh them out through other people thinking about them, other people's opinions of them, other people dealing with them. And I mean, he does show up through conversations over the phone and such. So and and through what we see him, we see the results of his presence as things start to spin out of control. So that's a little bit harder to, to give an emotional depth to, which is still my challenge, but it would have to be through the perspective of other people who dislike this person. Okay. And so you don't see the need to add additional scenes to show how bad this person is. I mean, sometimes it's necessary to show additional scenes, but I absolutely loathe books and stories that have scenes with bad guys in them for no other purpose than just to show how bad the bad guy is. Okay, and on that note, we will end this episode of Dogs, Cats, and Antagonists. (laughs) (laughs) If we have offended any cat lovers, I have my palms together and I am bowing my head saying I am very sorry we're not saying that dogs are better than cats. Hey, we are definitely not saying that because I am a cat lover. All right, phew, we're off the hook now. I think I think we're fully off the hook, and I could I could spend another ten minutes telling you the story of how we got our cat when our minion wanted one more pet, and uh, now that minion has been gone for ten and years, and we still have the pet. That's hilarious. Yeah, see, that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you have to have that. You are taking this to college yes, with you, aren't that, you? Conversation. That, yes, exactly. All right. It's on you for the call to action this week. Well, um, I want to bring back where we were last week with the Google Voice number. 
Um, it's new for us. Uh, we've put out calls for questions. We've gotten some amazing questions, but not everybody's feels like sitting down at the computer and typing something out. Sometimes it's just easy to say it. So we went through the effort to get that Google voice number for the show set up. And so I'm just asking again, why don't you play along with us? Um, get this, see if we can get this thing working and call our number, which is 469-587-9367. And let's hear from you and let's see if we can get this, this new finagle majiggly thingy working. It'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should get this episode transcribed. I'd like to see what they do with that. <laughs> All right, that is it for this week. We'll be back again next week. See you guys next week. Thanks for being here.